no place you can go in the world that ain't got black people. And I think for me, that just made my heart beat really fast because that not only shows a common thread, but it reminds us of our belonging. Hey, and welcome to Shade with me, Lou Mensah, holding the space for progressive anti-racism conversations through the lens of creativity and activism. Now, before we start the conversation, I want to talk a little bit about independent voices and broadcasting. It's important now more than ever that independent podcasters, journalists, activists and educators are supported. My aim is to keep this podcast free so that those who benefit from the resources can. But creating a show independently takes time, energy and self-funding. So, like many of you, I don't have an income right now. So if you've benefited from Shade in any way, please share this work with those who are able to support or with those who would benefit from these conversations. Through Shade Patreon, you can now elevate the voices of those working diligently on education and the protection of our human rights. So go to patreon.com forward slash shade podcast. The link, as always, is in all the Shade bios. Thank you so much to the new patrons, Anna, Charlotte and Marie. Now, these are horrific times that we're living in. It's okay to feel paralysed by the shock of what we're seeing. Take time to process, then do what you can do. I'll add links in the show notes and in the shade bios of ways in which you can contribute to the education of your own communities. And finally, to those who give of themselves in order to protect black lives today and every day. This episode is dedicated with gratitude to you. And now for today's episode. Student New Yorker Angelina Coronado is the fledgling scholar behind the Instagram page, The Menagerie Archive, which is a digital collection focusing on the othered in visual culture and narrative throughout history. When she's not researching for the archive, she's working on her thesis as a Mellon Mays undergraduate fellow at the City College of New York. I loved talking with Angelina. Her nuanced and introspective communication was so connecting and soothing, especially as we recorded this on a very difficult day for so many of us. Hearing the next generation coming through with their insights and their higher selves is inspiring. Just what we need to hear right now. Enjoy. I know you've had a bunch of great people and it's just like when you asked me I was like me yeah of course yeah basically it's it's, I ask people there's you know it's a very sort of basic system for me if if I just sort of react to the work that someone's doing and I just like it then I just ask them it's as simple as that and I think it makes much more interesting conversations than than always talking to people who generally do the circuit of podcasts I just want to speak to everybody who cares who's just doing really interesting work so yeah the work you're doing is as interesting as the next person who may have been doing it for 20 or 30 years To me, it seems by looking at the work that you're concentrating on, that there's a reflection for you, a personal reflection of your own journey, perhaps. And maybe for like so many of us, that's not been so easy. Um, And I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about 
the experiences you've had that have felt isolating to you and the points that have given you to realise that there must be a common experience across our entire communities. Did you have sort of dawning realisations at certain points along the way or have just your ideas grown and developed over time in terms of understanding your place in the world? For me, I think it was definitely a series of experiences growing up where I felt often misplaced and misunderstood and people were often, you know, categorizing me racially for the means of their comfort or understanding. And for me, I think it just, you know, took a lot of, you know, reading narratives by often, if not um, Dominican-American scholars, Dominican scholars, people of Black descent, talking about the way that they've been othered within a multitude of spaces, even well-meaning ones. Mm -hmm. And so one of them, I think for me, one of these, I guess, works would be that have really allowed me to understand the why it is often that I misplaced, misunderstood, and the like is um, Dixar Ramirez is a Dominican-American scholar who wrote this um, book, this great book called Colonial Phantoms, where she speaks about the Dominican Republic and how its people have been kind of, she uses the word ghosted or mm. absent within discourses of colonialism, blackness, and the development of the Americas. So, yeah, it's definitely me noticing my own personal experience, but then reading the work of other people who have been thinking about this for quite quite a long time and you know I think that has shaped the work that I'm doing right mm -hmm. now and I've loved reading up on your work um, and you you sent me a piece that you that you wrote um on museums and I think that's up on tumblr and actually I'll link that into the the show notes of the podcast so that can be available to others to read but not coming from an academic background which I don't I'm just really interested in the language that you use and some of the keywords that you've used to describe your focus of research and I'd love you to break some of these themes down primarily for me actually Angelina <laughs> um, and they would give some context to the work that you do so you've called your Instagram the Menagerie Archive. So can you talk a little bit about that? So for me, I was really interested in using a word that could really articulate um, what I was doing and that I was taking kind of a collection of narratives, paintings, objects that appear to be kind of disparate, kind of random and, you know, separate from each other. But, you know, my um, work that I wanted to do kind of like a digital curator is building that connection between these objects, paintings, and narratives. I'm focusing on racialized otherness, so within the term menagerie that implies spectacle. And I'm kind of, and, and spectacle is a very interesting term because, it, it, you know, it implies something that's kind of odd, it's uncanny, it's, it's, it's kind of separate from everything else that it's around. And I felt like there's something that I wanted to do with taking these various manifestations of otherness and bringing them together in a place where they're not, you know, other. To me, they, mm -hmm. they have connections. They're a part of this world. They're just, you know, in the dark. It's something that I want to bring to light. You're particularly interested in the history of 
plissage. Can you tell us more about that term? The history of plissage is something that intrigues me because it's one of those occurrences within the lives of people of Black descent that is kind of recounted like it was, like it's specific to North America or originated in the American South when it actually has roots in Spanish and French colonial practices within the greater America. So, you know, something like the history of Plassage, when you encounter it as a reader or you're studying it, it seems really bizarre. It's a recognized, you know, extra legal system that acknowledged unions between non-white, often, you know, mixed race women of African descent and white European men. So that's just one, I think, element of this greater history that 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 allows me to see how the Americas are connected because mm-hmm. it wasn't only specific to a particular region in the south of North America mm-hmm. something that other you know colonial um, entities were you know bringing over and then it was happening in the Americas at a larger scale so and one of your primary themes of focus is um, in your words the visual receptions of people of color and how they can give the viewer a window into how racialized otherness has been portrayed historically. That's obviously hugely interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you encompass this idea in your work? Well, I think definitely I was really interested in how these, you know, manifestations of often racialized others within art history. I was thinking about how not only um, racialized otherness manifests between it, the 15th and 19th century, but how these manifestations shape contemporary imaginings of race. And so, and because these paintings are kind of, you know, in the 18th century, 17th century, quite far off, it, it's, it's, I guess it could be difficult to see that or make that connection. But I did a talk about Spanish Costa paintings, which are these kind of Spanish colonial um, paintings of people mostly colonial subjects during the 18th century. And I was, you know, just studying these paintings and, you know, realizing quite, it was bizarre. They were bizarre to me because of the meticulousness in articulating, you know, otherness mm. within this time of empire. But then it started to really click because ac- across the diaspora, you know, across the Americas, we have these, you know, quite a vast nomenclature when it comes to referring to race. And so I was thinking, especially especially in Latin America, especially in a place like the Dominican Republic, and I was thinking, you know, the terms that are being used, you know, mulatto, um, you know, morisca, so, so, um, terms like that, it's not that far off from the language that we still use of course it's you know it's gone through a metamorphosis mm. and especially it, it depends on the a part the part of the Americas that you are in say you're in the North America for instance they they have um quite a vast nomenclature you know you hear light skin you know red bone light bright and then in, in then in Latin America you hear mulata still you hear negra you hear Rigenia, which implies, you know, triracial identity. So, yeah, it just feels to me like these paintings can give a kind of a window into maybe why it is we use the language that we do. But what common threads have you have you noticed or seen 
across these different regions? So for me, I think that if I can connect this to my own you know, personal experience and then maybe speak beyond beyond that, mm. what I've studied afterwards. I remember visiting New Orleans with my mom on my 16th birthday and we were riding into on a bus into the French Quarter and we're looking at each other and we're like, you know, this looks a lot like Santo Domingo, you know, the city where my actually the city of the capital city of the Dominican Republic. And, you know, this man comes into the bus and he hands out this kind of candy that tastes a lot like dulce de leche, which is a, you know, the candy form yeah, that, yeah. that um, people in, across the Spanish Caribbean eat. And, yeah. you know, for me at that young, at that, you know, age of young adulthood, it kind of, something kind of clicked for me. And then I, you know, began to read more about the connections between that area of North America and then the wider Americas. And I, you know, began to see that, like, people were, in regards to empire, people were on the move. There was a lot of mobility going on. And so in regards to my area of study, I, I sometimes can see something like the Spanish caste system within the more um, within popular literature of the 19th century of an American writer like Kate Chopin, for instance, where the language regarding mixed race people that she uses is definitely Anglophone, like octoroon, quadroon and the like. But it still has a very, you know, it's in alignment with, you know, a caste system just across the ocean from um a place like New Orleans. And so I think, yeah, I see that there's, you know, different language, different, you know, regions, you know, different colonizer maybe, but mm. it's a similar framework in regards to, you know, something like organizing racialized subjects and, you know, just a very syncretic nature of um, African descended Creole communities, you know, across the world. And you, you personally have seen how your Dominican history has been omitted from these texts and, and, and representations. And I'm just really interested to hear what the process has been like for you, just slowly unraveling and, and discovering and then sharing, you know, making a decision to share. I just think in all of our lives, all of our journeys, it's such a spiritual kind of awakening. But I just wonder how the process has been been for you yeah it's definitely been a uh, a long a long one mm. I do recall I think you know like I was speaking about before feeling you know very misplaced misunderstood um having my identity often pigeonholed in some type of way even within well-meaning spaces and I think that for me I felt like I had to perform a certain way so that people can understand me or see me in the way that I wanted to be seen. But that's still, that's, that's not autonomy. That's, that's not, that's, that's not, I think what identity, where I wanted my identity to be mm-hmm. me just performing what other people thought I was, or I think for me on a personal level, now that I've learned, it was really just a lot of reading and a lot of, you know, listening to others because it's like you know these these stories are are out there there are people who 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 do feel the way that I do and so I was 
you know, after learning this, I was more equipped to answer people when they were trying to, you know, categorize me. And now I encounter people and, you know, it's still to this day, they still try to figure you out. And so now I'm just more interested. And so I began more interested in having discussions with people. Mm-hmm. And so people approach you, especially if you are, you're from Latin America, but you're of a family of predominantly black descent. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you come to the United States of America and it's like they have, wait, can you hear the birds up? I'm sorry. No, I can't. I wish I could. Are they distracting you? A little, a little bit. No, but I'm good. I'm good. I could go. On. So for me, I, I, I was born in the United States of America where it's more preferred to view Latin Americans through, just categorize them as Latino or mm. often Hispanic. And that's, you know, to tell you the truth, that's a very reductive way of viewing, mm. you know, a group of people of, you know, a number of races. And mm. it's, it's, yeah, it's very reductive. And so I'll, I'll often come across people who will be, who will ask, oh, so, are you biracial? Are you white? Are you? And then so I say, you know, I you know I was born here. My family is from the Dominican Republic, and so they're like, oh, so you're Spanish? And I'm like, no. You know, and believe it or not, here that's very common. I have encountered, you know, a lot of um, Latino people who do identify as such, but I feel like it's more so the what this country does to you in terms of your identity it's you begin to try to somehow accommodate to what the popular notions or conceptualizations about your identity is so that you can just you know move around you can breathe it does get a bit easier when you're older I think maybe because older people well I can't generalize here but perhaps they're usually they have more reservations and they have more (laughs) barriers up in terms of just asking you outright about your identity but in my in my early years, you know, I don't think I could ever, you know, meet a new person without being asked that. Yeah, I, I just can't remember a time where I wasn't asked that. It can be exhausting. Uh, but now I'm reliving that again because I have a daughter. So that all stopped for a while. But when you have a child, it starts again. But you're, you are studying at the moment. So you're a student, right? Um, yeah. Where are you studying? I'm studying it. Uh, at a college in Manhattan called the City College of New York and right now I'm beginning my thesis yeah and so that's very exciting. You've said to me you've told me that you know the goal of what you're doing ultimately is for there to be a richer and more inclusive curriculum in the future and I think you're possibly referring to the history curriculum but maybe you could just you know in your wildest dreams what would a more inclusive curriculum look like? For me, I think it's, you know, just studying history comparatively across the board, especially in regards to colonialism Mm -hmm. and Black history. And in regards to Black history, I think focus on a global diaspora when we learn about it, when we teach, you know, children especially. And I think for me, you know, I I wanted to quote from... um, Barry Jenkins' film Moonlight. I remember when that came out, and I was about, I was, I was still in high school, and you know, one of the main figures is actually an Afro-Cuban man. Quotes: "There are black people everywhere. No place you can go in the world that ain't got black people." And I think for me, that just made my heart beat really fast because that not only shows a common thread 
but it reminds us of our belonging. You know, there are systems and institutions and ideologies that are meant to chip away at us and, you know, our, you know, existence historically. But there are so many kinds of beauty in our shared experience. You know, you can go somewhere, you can look at a lot of places on a map and know that there's someone there, you know, like you. I think that's so important. I didn't I didn't know anything about this diaspora, but as a as you know, as a child, I only recall in terms of learning about colonialism. I just recall, you know, you know, coloring in pages of you know, coloring book pages of of Christopher Columbus smiling. I'm pretty sure my younger sister, you know, she has this um similar if not the same education and regarding to there just seems to be so many more young people highlighting the need and saying you know this is what we want and I I think you know their voices are are, are starting to be heard and that's why it's wonderful to have to have you here as well to have Mm -hmm. this conversation with because you know all of your voices count and it's just so inspiring to hear what's important to you. Um, but to round up, firstly, I want to know when your next Instagram live is, because I really enjoyed that. And you've just started doing that. In terms of the Menagerie Archive and my work, I'd really just like to continue to have these conversations that point out these shared experiences and histories. And in terms of the next talk, I'm going to be talking about colonial objects and memory on the Menagerie Archive Instagram live which I'll be discussing kind of like the early history of the museum and 19th century spectacle and its relation to otherness, racialized otherness. And so Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be on June 6th at 2 p.m. Awesome, which is 7 p.m. UK time. When that's coming up, I'll let the Shade listeners know too. And, um, you know, I very rarely, not very rarely, but, you know, you've got to manage your budget, right? So I very rarely sort of jump on recommendations, but you did recommend an amazing book on your last Insta Live, which was called Black Maybe, an Afro Lyric by Roberta Carlos Garcia. I had to get my credit card out for that. So, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't happen very often at the moment for books. Um, I really appreciate the time that you take because I know I know the time and the effort it takes to put work out there and to share it with others and it's a real act of of generosity thank you so much thanks again for having me Whoa!